Hi, it's Stephen DiPietro from the Stoic Leadership Podcast. Today, I've got a longer podcast. It's actually an interview I did with a guy called Warwick Merry. Now, Warwick runs, he's got his own business, but he's got a podcast called Get More Success. Now, in this podcast interview, what we talk about is my business, which is basically measuring customer service around the world, but how I manage doing that and enveloping it in a in a philosophy of stoicism, which has been quite recent for me. So we get into that in quite some detail. He also asks a very, very good question in very early on in the podcast as to how I define success. And that's a really interesting question to answer. So for now, tune in and here's the podcast interview with Warwick. Today's guest manages over 50,000 members of his team, and it can get quite emotional. So he's embraced the philosophy of stoicism. So we're going to talk a little bit, what is it, how does it help, and but in particular, how does it help with your definition of success? He talks about the organization that he's built through mystery shoppers all around Australia and now Asia, and we just give some of the secrets on what he does to have success in his life. With 50,000 people knocking on the door every day saying, I need this, you better believe he's kept busy. Let's find out how he does it. Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his wife. It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Mary. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I'm your host, Warwick Merry. Now, today we've got a guy who's an absolute banker. Well, actually, he comes from banking, Macquarie Bank, one of the um, highly esteemed banks here in Australia. And after spending a lot of time in banking, he's got into mystery shopping. Ooh, that's where you dress up in a weird costume and go around creating mystery. Now, actually, we will find out exactly what's been going on with mystery shopping. He has spent a lot of time with the Mystery Shopping Professionals Association and has also set up a business around service and integrity. He has worked all around the world, has a team all around the world, and it's an absolute pleasure to have him here today. Stephen DiPietro, welcome to the show. Thanks, Warwick. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. So as I start with everybody... How do you define success? Someone who's had some big success in banking, been running your own business for 15 years or so, you've had global presentations, you've got a team all around the globe. I'm very interested. How do you define success? All right. Business-wise and personally, very differently. Um, From a business perspective, and this is the work I do, success is when you do the things you wanted to do. So when, more specifically, when you're executing the things you want to do. So many businesses have their goals out there and they want to do X, Y, Z, but they don't execute it. And they might, they might hit their numbers, but long-term, it just doesn't work out for them. So I think that when you say, we want to do this and we actually are doing the things that are going to get us there, that is success. Now, whether or not you actually achieve your goals, I don't think that's necessarily the measurement of success for the employees. Did they do the best job they could do with what they were given? That's when they feel successful. That's when they think they feel they've done well, as opposed to did we hit that target? Because, and this is where the personal side comes in, there are so many externalities. Um, you know, there's a great, there's a great um, analogy here for a, an Olympic 
an Olympic archer. Now imagine them coming up to the target and they've got one shot left before the gold medal's decided and they're in it. All of a sudden, they, 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 they pull back on their, on their bow and all of the years of practice have, have just come to this one moment. They've done everything absolutely right. Just as they let go of that arrow, that little split of a second, the arrow's flying straight towards the, the target. And in that little split when they, between when they let go and when it leaves their, their finger, a gust of wind comes and just blows it off just a little centimetre and it just misses the target. Now, from a success point of view as we're taught, that's a bad thing. You didn't get the gold medal. But... If you look at that internally, and Warren Buffett says the only scorecard I look at is the internal scorecard. From the internal scorecard, that is, man, I did everything I could do. So it's very hard to do, but that's you, you've been a success to yourself. Almost impossible. So it's a really complicated answer. It's not, it's not about um, achieving this or achieving that because those things are outside of your control. We've both been around the sun enough times to know that that's what's going to happen. And if you depend on those externalities, those awards, achieving financial targets, you're basically screwed because you're going to end up in a world of hurt because you're not you're out of your control. So how's that for a complicated starting answer? Very interesting. And as you're doing that sport analogy, I was just thinking of all the... Um the videos I've seen of people playing football, soccer, some kind of sports, and a dog runs across the field and takes it, or there's a streaker that grabs the ball, or someone's throwing something and a bird just goes straight into the flight path. Like, you know, the, the, you just, no matter how good you are, there's other stuff that happens. It happened in a World Cup downhill skiing race only, well, it's it, it just recently, about a month ago, <laughs> guys coming down the hill and and this famous streaker woman comes out with basically this really skimpy bikini on and um, she, she does the streak and puts him off. So, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm interested because when, we, when you first started talking about that, you said that there was two distinct uh, a business and a personal one. So, what about for you personally? Because I know you're a mammal, uh, a middle-aged man in Lycra. Yep. Uh, like, you like your cycling. Yep. So, how, how do you personally define success outside the business world? There was a hint in my answer about the business world, about these externalities. From a personal perspective, I used to have the traditional, like I did the whole linear thing. Went to school, got decent marks, went to uni, finished that. I became an accountant because that's what you did. And then I became a CPA and then I got an MBA and that whole linear thing. But things were just not working out for me like I wanted them to. And um, I was going okay. Career was going well. Macquarie Bank, all the rest of it sounds great but it just didn't feel like success. And it's taken me a long time to realize that that success really is. It's that Warren Buffett thing. It's success is from within. Um, Epictetus, the famous Stoic philosopher from about 2000 years ago, he said, is it up? his question he posed was, is it up to me or is it not up to me? If it's up to me, then I control it and I own it. And the only two things I control are my emotions and my actions. This is the way I measure it now. So, Am I being the best version of myself? I know it sounds all airy-fairy and everything, but am I doing the best thing I can do in terms of my emotions and my actions? Because I don't control anything else. Mm. And that's what I'm moving towards in terms of success. And so success is not a thing. Success is not a point. It is not an award. It is not a financial target. It is not even financial independence because mm. I've managed to try to screw that up as much as I possibly can, like a lot of us. <laughs> Um, it's not those things. That's the thing. Also, financial independence, 
there's, you know, there's some commentary that you're only like five minor instances away from being homeless. Like, and, and we've seen this time and time again, people have got a house and got decent money, stuff happens and then bang, they're on the street. So financial security in some ways can be an illusion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing is how close we are to dystopia. I know it's topical, but um, around the time of recording, this coronavirus is happening in China and I've got staff over there. Now, I go to Shanghai often. It is one of the most modern, sophisticated cities you will ever visit. But talking to my staff now, um, I've just come to realise that within 48 hours, their world got turned upside down. They can't go out. The supermarket shelves are empty. They're not taking deliveries of food. They had to actually organize to get food a couple of days in advance because the shelves are empty because no one's stocking them. Dystopia wasn't very far away for them. It was 48 hours away. Now, hopefully it'll recover. But again, these things completely outside of your control are just um, screwing with you. So I don't, I don't want to be in that world anymore. I want to be able to control what I'm doing with inside. And again, it's emotions and it's actions. All right. So let's talk about that. How do you manage your emotions? Because, um, you know, there's lots of people who talk about meditation and being mindful and there's other people who will get cut off in traffic and their emotions come on display very quickly. So what do you do? What are your secrets to controlling those emotions? Yeah, I've, I've been on a, a bit of a personal journey as well. So I've been right into stoicism. So this is the the famous Stoics of Seneca and um, Emperor Aurelius and, and, and I mentioned Epictetus, these guys. And what it's about is, again, what you can control and can't control. So from an emotional perspective, if someone cuts me off in traffic, the first reaction, you can't really help the reptilian brain saying, oh, shit, you idiot. So, and you want to scream or honk your horn or whatever. But then what the trick is, is to notice that emotion, look at it. So it's almost like a meditation practice live. Notice that emotion and go like, okay, it's not, you've got to physically from the front of your prefrontal cortex say rationally, this is not going to help it. I've been cut off. It's spilt milk. It's done. Calm yourself down. Forget about it. You've actually got to put your conscious mind in front of your subconscious and say, okay, acknowledge the emotion let it go. And with practice, it works. Now with practice, you get to the next level where you actually don't even get annoyed when they cut you off because you start to work it out and you go like, I'll just short circuit that emotion altogether and all the angst that came with it. And just as it happens, you start to, you start to learn not to do that. And so it's, it's like muscle memory thing. It's like a sports person who doesn't flinch when the ball's coming to their face and it's like an, there's an automatic reaction to get out of the way or it's this muscle memory of learning not to let the subconscious first come in, but it's all I do. Let it come in, recognize it, say, okay, you're now used to me now and move on. Sounds again, it sounds, it sounds very, oh, it sounds very navel gazing, but it's not, it's very, very practical. It's very Victor Frankl, you know, the gap between the yep. stick response and really spending time in that gap and, and making a choice as to what you're doing. So I just want to go on, you're talking about muscle memory of having that, that gap and then not even having the emotional response. What impact does that have on the positive emotions? So when you watch a great film or listen to great music or see something amazing that, you, that usually would bring a whole lot of joy, does that stifle that emotion as well? I actually try to tone that down. I try to stay a bit more calm with those emotions because you start to get high on your own supply. Uh, like, for example, if I put a post out on LinkedIn and I got 15,000 views, it's like, oh, how good am I going? 
but really you feel good and you celebrate it, but then you kind of look at it and go like, well, I didn't control the algorithm. Did I really control that? Was it really me? Was it really the post? Um, if I win a deal, was it really that I did something special in that deal? Um, when you really look at it and put, put your rationality in front of it, that elation, it's good to have it and let, and let it fall into, into, into my consciousness, but then I let it go as much as I, as quickly as I can. It's, it sounds very boring, but what it does is that it just opens you up to when you do something yourself that really warrants that, then you can, you can celebrate it with this little piece of internally, you have this little feeling of, okay, I did a good thing and you tap yourself on the shoulder. It's again not externality. So you, I do try to keep those calm down because I'm so excitable. I get excited <laughs> by a good conversation. I get excited by a sunny day. I get excited and just let just try to go through that a bit calmer. Yeah. So you're getting rid of the big peaks and troughs and just trying to be a little bit not yeah. flatline, but just a bit no, more. Not flatline. Just make that wave a little bit less peaky. And um, because look, those those in business, and I've seen it all the time, and I've been selling B2B for years, you win a client and you go like, how awesome, you celebrate and you do the big dance or you ring a bell or whatever, but then within five minutes, you start thinking about the work you've got to do. And you think, oh shit, are we, we said we could do that. Can we really pull this off? And you start to get all the hard, hard work. So, you know, we, we, these emotions, you think, okay, I won the deal, great maybe let's just go a bit flatline and let's not get the staff to get thrown around like a rag doll as well with my, cause my emotions get amplified with my staff as well. And you've got to be careful of that. So I do keep them in check and um, yeah, smile a bit more on the inside. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to sound boring, but smile a bit more on the inside. Yeah, yeah. What sent you down this path of stoic stoicism? Um, I've been on a, everyone goes on a personal journey and I just know that I'm a very extreme person. I'll, but and I also know that those extremes don't always serve me well. But when I go in, I go all in. So um, I was trying to understand purpose of life things, and I, I do write a lot, and I've got a keynote speech about purpose and purpose in business and purpose in, in your personal life, the difference between meaning and purpose. But there's always this missing link, like, okay, I've got this purpose, but then how does that get practical in my life? And I found with this these Stoic teachings that, it's actually practical tools to get through life. And they're very, very practical. And um, I started applying them. I thought, you know what? That works. That does work not getting cut off, you know, getting cut off in the traffic. It's a small example. It works in setting my goals for business. It works in, okay, when I'm doing the mystery shopping business, what do we measure? We, we keep, our clients keep asking for people to be measured on things that they don't control. How does that make them feel? So this element of contr what's controllable, what's not controllable, even in terms of our thoughts, it's fascinated me. So I'm trying to loop that all way back in. And, um, and yeah, the, the off, off goes stoicism. It just bubbled up. It came out of nowhere. It was a little bit serendipitous, I suppose. And that's how a lot of these things are. It's really resonating with me. Cool. Hey, let's talk about uh, mystery shopping. So mystery shopping, uh, for, well, give us a, you're the expert. Give us a quick definition for people who might not understand mystery shopping. And I know different countries call it something a little bit different, secret shopping or whatever. So yeah, yep. Secret shopping, mystery shopping, really, it's, I wish it was like you kind of put in the introduction. Um, I wish I was standing in these 
car parks with um, with the big black felt hat on and the and the and the brown light brown raincoat and looking and peering across and looking for people doing things wrong. It's none of that, um, but it does sound interesting. But what it does do is it measures the difference again between strategy and execution. My clients are the the who's who of the corporate world. So then I can throw names out. We we shop for Google, Microsoft, Apple. Woolworths, the, the big names that in Australia and internationally. And what their main thing is, here's our goal. Are we executing it? Is what we think we want to do, our strategy, being executed by people at the, call it the, the, the furthest reaches from head office? And that's what we'll measure. Now, we'll do that either for customer service or from a compliance perspective. Sometimes it's legal, e.g. banking or it's, so that's a compliance one, or it's a customer service one, or it's simply a manufacturer who doesn't serve the customer. So for example, a lawnmower manufacturer, they don't sell direct to the customer, but they sell through a hardware chain. So we'll go to the hardware chain and say, hey, look, I need a lawnmower. What do you recommend? Are they recommending that product or someone else's product? So we'll find out what's really happening in the shop, in the shop front, and we'll find out what's happening for your direct employees. And um, the truth hurts. Mm. <laughs> I've got a lot of bullets from those bullets that are specifically made for messengers. I'm covered in them. <laughs> uh, so I'm really interested because uh, so often we'll go somewhere and go, well, that wasn't very good service. Uh, what, from your experience, because you're, you're measuring service for a lot of people, what are the key elements that you reckon has to, has to be present to deliver good service? And does it vary? It, I'm going to answer that question a little bit down the side, which is probably my hobby horse. What I think happens is that we listen to the customer too much. So the, the waiter comes up to the table and says, and asks you, hey, how was your meal? Now, it might have been pretty crappy, but you're at dinner with your wife and her friends and you don't want to be that guy. So you just chew away your tough steak and go, yeah, it's fine. Thank you. And they go, okay, great. Everything's fine. But that's not the truth. Likewise, if you ask a customer a question, you, they walk into a store and you, you give them that 10 point scale of what did you think of our service today? And they answer it in an email after the event or something or on the way out the store, they say, yeah, that was fine. That was wonderful. She was so nice. She was lovely. My God, she was so helpful. She, she even helped me with my shopping bags and blah, 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 blah. Sounds like a good idea, but did she actually sell you anything? And that's where listening to the customer can really get you in a lot of trouble. So what I think you need to do to give Gus good customer service is work out what service you want to give. Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it highly, um, is it highly touchy? Is it, is it just get them in and get them out? Is it discount-based? What is it? Is it breadth of product? Work out what you want to do there and then work out if you're executing to that. Don't ask the customer if you're doing a good job. They don't know that you should be upselling or cross-selling. They don't know that when you buy a pair of pants, you should be upselling the belt. They don't care. So don't ask them. So you've got to watch your measurements as to what you're doing. So what's good customer service? Good customer service is meeting the customer's expectation every single time. So you have to set an expectation as a brand then you have to execute that. That will automatically attract a certain type of customer. And then you measure, well, am I doing that? 
it's, again, it's not rocket science, but we try to go out there and say, oh, we'll give, we, we uh, read mission statements and they make me vomit. Good customer service. It's like, yeah, what the hell is your good customer service? Is it the Google style of customer service where you can't ever call anyone and it's automated? Or is it the high touch feel of the, I don't know, a, a, a high end fashion brand when you walk in and they give you a cup of coffee and can I help you, sir? What service are you talking about? So it's not a thing. Yeah. I reckon one of the hardest things would to be running like a three-star hotel because people would be expecting this five-star service because that's what we want. We want all the free stuff, but it's only three-star. So for the staff to actually hold themselves back, do you find that with some of your customers, depending on the industry, that there is such a thing as over-servicing the client? Yeah. Over-servicing is interesting because we have these romantic notions of that happens in specific er specific points of contact. We have these things of um, remarkable service stories and the, the stories of Nordstroms that some of us grew up with. And you know, you, you go, whatever it is that you want, they're going to get it for you. And these epic tales of customer service, someone running down the street saying, "Oh, you forgot your whatever," and you know, chasing them for two kilometres. And oh my God, what a hero! We try to over service them, but it doesn't. People don't want that. They want just. They want to have their expectations met every single time. Classic example, I use this one sometimes in my keynotes. Um, great state of origin football in Australia, in, in New South Wales where I live, big, big events. It's like Super Bowl in America. Got some buddies over, we go to order some pizzas. About half an hour, three quarters of an hour before the, before the match, I, ordered, I ring up, order the pizzas thinking they're going to take forever, go up for a shower, buddies haven't arrived yet, doorbell rings about 20 minutes later, there's a guy with my pizzas. He's over-delivered. I didn't want the pizzas in 20 minutes because I didn't get a chance to get dried and they're going to go cold. And I wanted them when they said they were going to be delivered. I don't want a plane to leave early when I go to the airport. I mean, I want it to, li to, to, to leave on time. So don't over service me. Just give me the things I want that your brand represents. Three-star hotel, perfect example. Clean, tidy, functional, not overly beautiful. Um, get me checked in and checked out as quick as you can. I'm not expecting a concierge service. Sometimes people try to go out of their way and, and it just doesn't work because then it just compromises everyone else's service as well. So yeah, yeah expectation every time. So what, what are some of the examples of bad service that really stick in, in the, the, the mind or the, the craw of the organizations and their customers that you've experienced? Yeah. It's more about it's more about consistency of process than an individual thing here. So a classic example is another classic example is calling a customer back. So someone comes in to, to buy a car, you don't, you, you talk to them, you help them. And then they, they go, Oh, I might just go and check with my husband, wife, partner, whatever. And they walk out and you don't have their details. Or even if you do collect their details, you don't call them back. Most people who walk into your store want to buy something, whether it's a car or a pair of socks. We've got better things to do than laze around, unless it's a rainy Sunday afternoon and you're into window shopping, which not many people are anymore these days. Um, you just want to buy something. So help me buy something. So what people are doing and where the bad service comes in is they put, the, they put the, this idealistic, high touch, high feel, high smiley face sort of, persona in front of someone but they don't know their stuff and they can't close the sale so and i know from a lot of our customers and a lot of our research 
The most important thing is knowledge. And the second most important thing is, is closing the sale. That's actually what the customers want. But we dress it around that make sure you smile, make sure you repeat what they wanted. Like you call a phone company and say, look, uh, my, bill, my bill's incorrect. Can you fix it? And they go, so, sir, from what I understand, you're calling me because you think your bill is incorrect. It's like, I just want to kill someone. That is not good customer service. That's irritating. Fix it's the damn problem. It's that all, all show, no substance. Oh, it's just, it's a, so what's bad customer service? Bad customer service is inconsistency and not meeting my expectation. I'll go back to those two, two things. Hey, a lot of people talk about how useless millennials are. And just personally, I, I'm not a big believer of that theory. But what has your experience been? Because no doubt you've, you've mentioned... Complete rubbish. ...work with and the millennials, like they're the, younger, or the young kids who are cheap. You know, 15 to 18 year olds in Australia are very, very cheap wage. So what are they like? Do they get customer service? Are they worse than they used to be? Uh, how, what sort of impact are they having on the service level that people are experiencing? It's complete rubbish. Um, we've done all sorts of studies looking at the age even of the employees who are served. It's not that the most senior people serve better. It's not that the junior people serve worse. It's not that the franchisor is the owner of the business serves better than the others. It's none of that. The problem for, that people perceive with millennials has been going on for years and years. Um, everyone just thinks the young people are flakies. It's just that it happened when I was a kid. Oh, we were flaky. We didn't have responsibility. I don't believe it because evolutionarily, the human being has not changed that much in 20 years and not actually over 20,000 years. So what happens, the fish stinks from the head. It, it always comes down to the store manager. There's your problem. We know that when the store manager moves from one place to another or a regional manager, the mystery shopping scores, the service scores or the compliance scores, they follow the manager. They do not... They're independent of the person, almost, that's working there, regardless of their age. It stinks from the head. Right. Hey, you've been doing this now for 15 years and you've yep. been speaking around the, work on, around the world on service and purpose. What have been some of the secrets to your success, to your longevity? Because 15 years running your own business, like, that's awesome. There's a lot of people who don't get that far. In your business, what have been some of the, the secrets to your success? Uh, I, I just do it my own way. Every time I try to deviate from my own way, it screws me up. So, for example, I might go to a seminar and someone starts to teach you about um, lead generation and follow-ups and cold calling. So then I go on a cold calling binge and I screw it up. Then I see something about do this, do that, and I go off and do this thing. I know my style. My style happens to be more uh, touch feel I will fly anywhere in the country to see any client regardless of the size of the account and they love that um, and over years you end up knowing your stuff but uh, just again it's this internal thing just know what I'm good at and uh, find people to do the stuff I'm bad at I don't try to improve my the things I'm not good at anymore I just focus on the things I'm good at yeah yeah cool. I mean, that's a bit waffly I know but we just get caught up and distracted and, and also you'll get to a point where you're like, uh, you're happy with how you're operating and how you run you. How, how big is your how big team have you got? How big a team have you got? Well, we've got about 15 people call it full time, but 55,000 mystery shoppers around the country. Yeah. 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 And we've got them in now we've got a whole bunch in Japan, Korea, China, Hong Kong, all over Asia. And um, yeah, managing and you're managing, although they're not full-time employees, they're personalities and there's 55,000 of them. And it's, it's just, it's, 
bedlam. I can't tell you. <laughs> oh, dear. Another conversation going on there, but we can't have it because we're out of time. So, uh, Steve, thank you for your time today. Just as we wrap up, what do you reckon? What's going to be your key focus for the coming 12 months? I'm going to focus on myself. I'm going to go full loop back to where we started from, heavily focusing on myself. I know if I get that right, everything else is going to follow. Excellent. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks, mate. You've been listening to another episode, a very stoic episode of the Get More Success Show with your host, Warwick Mary. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Mary. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy your success.